Welcome to another episode of the Week Pastor Podcast, where we view Christianity through the lens of vulnerability. Welcome to the Week Pastors Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, how are you doing, Sua? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, it's been a heavy week, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, but uh, before we do that, I'd really love if we could uh, first uh, answer this question. Is it okay? Yes. Uh, this, this, this will prove uh, if you are just a really good abiding citizen. But other than maybe getting a speeding ticket, have you, have you actually like really broken a law that you need to confess on air? Maybe you got arrested for, um, maybe you got in trouble. Have you ever been in trouble with the law? I want to know that. Have you ever you, been arrested? I just want to, okay, you've known yeah. me for 10 plus years. Yes, I have. What do you think? Like, I mean, yeah, seriously, come no, on. But you, but you never know, Sua. I mean, those could be the shocking things. Like, oh my God, I never knew that. I never knew Sua beat somebody up at a New York club with a stick. You know, kind of, and then she got arrested and taken in. You know, like no, I don't know. Uh, nothing. No, no. I mean, I'm sorry to disappoint. It's so boring. But I mean, yeah. yes, like we, I break like the little laws. Like I, I was a jaywalk, oh, or um, gracious. you know, I drank underage. Sorry, I used to drink underage. Okay, but I don't think you can get arrested. Uh, have you, have you, that, really. have you ever gotten wasted underage, or you just drank? I got pretty drunk underage. What was this? this college or high school? College. Okay. Have you no, definitely you not in high school? I was pretty have good you in high school. Had, you didn't drink at all in high school. I did not drink at all in high okay. school. No, no, but I drank in college. <laughs> but yeah, no. I mean, I was That's pretty a, good. I was pretty good. You're you're really good. Some people might say you're very boring. No, I'm very boring because you know I am. <laughs> no, like I I really my core basic desire in life I think is to be a good person. So I really yeah. tried. You know, like it's so bad that. Um, one time when John and I were dating, we were, we went, drove to Binghamton okay. um, to get some stuff for his college transcripts. And then it started pouring rain. Like it was like mm. thunderstorms. And I was <laughs> like, I don't think we can go back home. Like it's, it's terrible conditions for driving. Yeah. And then John's like, well, I guess we got to have to get a hotel room. So then I literally called my mom and was like, mom, I was like 22 yeah. at this time. Mom, yeah. I was like, I'm going to sleep in a hotel room with John. Okay. But don't worry. Nothing's going to happen. I just needed to tell you so that you know that I'm doing this. Yeah. This is a kind of person that I am. What kind of 22 year old calls their mom to tell them that they're going to spend the night at a hotel? My mom's reaction was like, go ahead. Because she was kind of like, you do you. Like, I know yeah. you're going to do what you need to do, you know? And yeah, so yeah. I always try to do the right thing. Yes, very boring, super annoying. Straight and narrow, Super girl. annoying. But yeah. that's just who I am. I'm you're, sorry. You're, you're, you're kind of like a female David Hosang. First of all, that is the highest compliment that anybody <laughs> could ever give somebody. I don't think David Hosang's ever gotten in trouble like once in his life. You know what how I feel about David Hosang. You know, you know, David, I wonder if David ever got arrested. You think David but ever got Jesus, arrested? David, Pastor David has like a mischievous side. I just think that's all a front, man. I don't, he, that dude, that dude. Okay, is, fine. Then let's, let's go. Show me up. Did you ever get arrested? What, what, what did you, you do? Think, what do you think, Sua? Public yes, urination? I don't know. What yeah, did you what do? do? You, what do you think, Sua? You think, you think I've done something? I don't you think, think so. Oh, Sua, you were. Oh, wait. No, 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 no. You Hold on. Pastor with loose morals. I remember you did tell us about that one time you drove the car without a license. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Is that what you're going to talk that about? That was it. I mean, I got a, I, they arrested me. They actually arrested me and I got did, taken Did they in. cuff you? No, they didn't cuff no. me because I was like, I was so mortified. <laughs> but they put us in the back of the police car and I was like, oh my gosh. 
that was one and uh and I, I i couldn't get my license i had to like get it later on because i had to go to court oh, i had to go in front right. of a judge and uh, you had your permit you said right you had i had my permit, permit. Mm-hmm. And the crazy thing about the story was that, you know, like I was driving on Broad Avenue in Richfield and I, I'm a very good driver. You know, I drove like, you know, I would drive in the parking lot like when I was younger. My father would always be like, hey, you want to drive? I'm like, sure, I'll drive in the parking lot with him. And so I, was a very, I wasn't doing anything wrong. But for some reason, this there was a cop and they were just stopping random cars. I don't know mm. why they were doing that. And when... When he saw me, it's just my face gave it away. Because when I saw him, I was like literally like, "You're not a pro. You're." you're I didn't know what to do. I couldn't stay cool. (laughs) He totally was like that kid. Something's up. And then you know what else he saw? Like in in the drivers in the uh, passengers side of the floor, there was a open hanger, like a metal hanger. So he thought I I actually jacked the car. So he thought, wait a minute. He's like, wait a minute, like. Why is there a hanger in there? And it was already opened up. And I, I don't know why my father put it in there. He used it for something. We had an old, we had these old cars. Like and, the opposite and of act natural. Yeah. Like your face is I, I was like so giving nervous. it all away. Ooh, I didn't know what to do. I was so nervous. So that was my first one. All right. Oh my goodness. There's more. Oh yeah, there is more. And then there was a second time when I was still in high school. I think this was probably before. Um, I used to steal a lot of um, blank cassette tapes. You know, to, I want to make nice oh, mixes. Most of our listeners probably don't even know what yes, a cassette yes. tape is. Yes. So back in, in the days when I was young, uh, we didn't have CDs. We had no streaming. I mean, streaming MP3, services. Give me a break. Nothing. You had to like buy like tapes, cassette tape albums in order for you to listen to the songs that you like. Or you, there was like an A said, side wait, and a B side. Right. Or you wait on a, on a, like you listen to the radio, you wait for your song to come on, then you press record, right? And then mm-hmm. you never get the full mm-hmm. song, right? So nope. anyway, I stole this cassette and, I, and you know, there was some blind cassette tapes were very expensive. And so I took a really nice one. I still wow, remember. Wow, you shoplifted? Oh yeah. I, I actually shoplifted multiple times, but this is the time oh I Lord. actually got caught. Oh, this is the time you got caught. This is okay. the time I got caught. So I, I I got this black cassette tape, and it was, you know where the H Mart is in Richfield? Yes. That used to be ShopRite. Oh. And I used to live right around there within walking distance. So I asked where I took the tape, and I was walking out the door. I just thought, oh, piece of cake. It worked again. I just felt <gasps> his hand behind me, and he just smacked me in the back oh and just grabbed me gosh. like by my shirt. And it was get upstairs. And I went upstairs with my my friend. You know, <gasps> unfortunately, he was always. I felt bad for her because that was a bad influence. Because he was in the passenger side of the car when I got arrested because I didn't have my license. Oh my and he was with me. And he took a tape as well. So he took a oh tape. Oh my god! And I got taken upstairs. And this guy was like, "I'm going." And I, and at the time, Sua, this is this is crazy. At the time, like. You know, I thought I was like this martial artist kind of guy and stuff like that. I thought I was like this really cool martial artist. You tried artist to and fight stuff. him? Seriously? No, no, you no. You tried no, to no. fight him? No, Sue, I had a butterfly knife on me. Stop. Yeah, because I thought I was like this cool How dude. How you know? old were you? I, I think I was like a sophomore, sophomore or, or like a junior in high school. I think something like that. And I was like, <gasps> I was excellent at the butterfly knife. And it was double edged, it was beautiful. You were trying to intimidate him? No, 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 no. I just had it in my, and he had to search me. I just oh, I had see, it I in my oh, pocket. Oh, I thought you like took it out and started like no, doing some moves. No, and I was no, like, are no, you crazy? No, 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 no. Oh I would gosh. never do that. But okay. you know, I just loved having a butterfly knife on me. You know, back in those days, you can actually bring it to school. Like it didn't matter. Like yeah. nobody checked, yeah. you know, <laughs> and everything. So Wild event, time. So I, I, he took my butterfly knife and he loved it so much. He took it. He didn't even give it to, <laughs> like, he just kept it for himself because I know he loved it. He was well, like, wow, did he call the really police? Nice. 
So he said he was going to call the police. He threatened us. And he goes, when I call the police, they're going to take you away to juvenile detention center. And I'm like crying. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to go to jail. This is terrible. 10th grade, goes, Pastor Peter crying. So, so he calls, he calls, um, he calls my mom and he's like, okay, well, if your mom doesn't come, I'm going to give her 10 minutes to come down. If she doesn't come in 10 minutes, so and so forth. So yeah, my mom comes down and the first thing she does, is she <gasps> smacks me in the face in front of him. <gasps> and, and she said, I had to do that. I had to show him that you're going to get in trouble so he doesn't call the cops. I mean, and uh, and it worked. It absolutely worked. Part. She he was probably like know. she's gonna do him up even more than the police. He started he started like smiling and giggling when he saw my mom hit me because he's like and then but that's what like, he okay. wanted. Yeah, and then he goes, "Don't ever do that again. You can go." And he just kept the knife. He just loved this knife. It was I still remember it was a beautiful butterfly knife, and he and he kept my double edge. It was surgical steel butterfly. Can we knife. can we focus on the fact that? you stole cassette tapes from him first before yeah, you started talking about the sin yeah. of him stealing your favorite <laughs> surgical butterfly knife. Like, come on, let's focus so, here. Th those were the two times where I actually, yeah, broke the law. So, you know, I mean, I was, and, and hence, I think that's why you call me pastor with loose well, morals. Yes, but I think it's also because I am like a Pharisee, apparently, and I just, you know, try not to ever do, I am you so bad. You are a that, Pharisee. So let me tell you a crazy story. One time when I was in college, was it college or graduate school? I ordered a bunch of clothes from the store, Urban Outfitters. Do you know Urban Outfitters? Yeah. Oh, gosh. So, Don't tell me they sent you extra stuff and you returned it. I would have. That's not what happened, though. Okay, okay, okay. I ordered a bunch of stuff from UrbanOutfitters.com. <laughs> so this package arrives. Yeah. I open the package. All my clothes are there. But there's also a Nextel cell phone in there, like in a box. Like Whoa. in its box. Do you remember Nextel cell phones? Yeah. The ones that you hand, they were like, like walkie-talkies walkie as well. Yes, yeah. they're very expensive. Ex for sure. So I'm like, why is there a new, brand new in-box Nextel cell phone in my Urban Outfitters order, right? With like the wires and everything. And so I yeah. tell John, I'm like, John, there's a Nextel phone in my package. And he goes, oh, let's, let's go sell it. I was like, I can't sell this. This is not mine. So I call Urban Outfitters a headquarters and I'm, yeah. I'm literally getting, but you know, this is brand new, right? Brand new in the box. So I'm getting pushed around, like, let, let me put you on hold. Let me connect you with this person. After like an hour and a half of calling them, they literally said, well, we don't sell next telephones, duh. They were like, we don't know whose it is, so you can just keep it. Wow. So I sold it on eBay for $260. No, no, um, you didn't sell it. John did because John's well, a businessman. No, but my point is, money I tried really hard to return this Nextel phone. I tried, you know, because I'm trying to do the right thing. You're always trying to do the right thing, girl. You're always trying to do the right yeah, thing. I'm very annoying. You are. You I'm are. I'm very annoying yeah. to be around. I'm sorry <laughs> to my friends and family that have suffered. Well, I'm thank I'm thankful that at least one of us in this podcast is uh, doesn't have loose morals. So. I find it hilarious and very telling, Pastor Peter. Yeah. That after you told that story, you're still you were getting increasingly upset about the fact that he he took your butterfly knife. Like you started off with the story of like I'm still yes, I stole because but that was the nicest this man knife I've ever owned. Yeah. Seriously, I mean. I, I just I, I just remember how good I was with that butterfly knife, but and I missed it because it was my favorite butterfly knife. But anyway, but here's the thing: I never got drunk in college. I never drank. Well, uh, I never really? Drank. Are you really trying to? So I'm one upping you right now on that. Wow. I think I was a lot more straight and narrow in college than you were. So just just an FYI on that. That's because so. you were part of the cult. And also, um, <laughs> I. I, I stayed away from alcohol simply because my father mm. was a monster yeah. when he got drunk. So I just that said, I'll sense. never drink again. But anyway, um, having said that, I've changed now and, you know, I do my wine here and there. So, I mean, you know. I have, I don't, I still drink, but I just don't become extremely inebriated. Yeah, um, I, I just don't understand I mean, why I've people have to do that. I've done other things too. Just, like, I'm not gonna... ha have you done any drugs? 
I mean, no comment, but um, oh. I can't I can't say it on air, you okay. know, because my kids may listen, but I will let you believe. I, I'm, not gonna de- no. I'm not well, going to say no. Well, then you definitely no. have. Okay. All right. All right. Listen, Let's if you smoke on. a little weed, it's okay, Sua. It's not like it's so bad, all right? Because I think people are going to be like, did she smoke crack, heroin, you know? Some, some mushrooms out in uh, my backyard. What, uh, what, what is the... Um, what is that drug that uh, that's on the uh, Breaking Bad? What is that one? The drug oh that you use in Breaking um, Bad. Meth? Oh, meth. meth no, is meth, it is meth. it meth? Yeah, it's meth. It's meth. Crystal meth. meth? Yeah, crystal meth. Crystal meth. Like again, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, you and I could never do a, a, a podcast episode on drugs because I think our our experience on that is incredibly limited. So, but I do know some people who um... you have you have blood related <laughs> family members who might uh, and actually you probably sleep next to a guy who might have done a few. No comment. <laughs> no comment. Okay. <laughs> oh man, I'm sure he doesn't do anything anymore as a surgeon. Yeah, but uh, but yeah. Yeah, John's gonna kill me. I, I, I did not say John. I just want you to know if you're John, listening. I did not say a word. This is all John, Pastor Peter's you, John, um, guessing. John, John, my wife and I are gonna come to Ohio and we're gonna do a live episode. The four of us. All right. Bank did Jenny on that. say yes? She will do it. I think she'll do it. Yeah. Okay, she hasn't said I, she yes will yet, do it, and I think, think she'll, do she'll do it. Are two very different it, things. I think she will do it. I, th- I, I think. Start there's praying a good now. Chance. There's Start a really good chance. Now. All right. Well, we have to actually pivot and, and talk about something real serious here. And so, um, uh, I think Sue and I we come on this podcast with a real heavy heart uh, because of what's happened uh, mm-hmm. in Texas uh, this week, uh, another horrific event, and uh, we really want to focus on. Uh, this is not necessarily saying that we live in a very broken world. Uh, our country, the United States of America, is incredibly broken. It is. It is. It is so broken, especially when it comes to gun violence and the laws that we have in this country. And what happened earlier this week, uh, many of you know because you've watched the news, uh, 19 fourth graders uh, got killed by an 18-year-old boy who turned 18 and decided to go and get a gun. Because in Texas, in the state of Texas, when you turn 18 years old, guess what? You can go and get uh, an AR-15. It's not, a, it's not even a yeah. problem. And yep. so you can get that. And he decided to buy two of those. And he gunned down his grandmother. And then he gunned down 19 beautiful, precious fourth graders and two teachers. And it's just absolutely horrific. And what we want to do is we really want, we don't want to just talk about that, but we want to talk about the bigger thing of how do we grieve well when we go through losses? Uh, You and I have all sustained losses in life. And here's the thing, not everyone has grieved their losses. And when we don't grieve our losses, something really horrible can happen to us. We'll talk about that. But what we do want to just kind of spend just a brief moment a little bit and just talking about what happened in Texas and the horrific event. And so Sua, you having two little kids as well. Uh, how, did, how did you process all this? What's going through your mind? What are your thoughts? What would you even like to maybe just talk about with our audience and mention to, uh, and let our audiences know? I don't know if there's much I can say at this point that hasn't been said already by, um, you know, the friends and family who's, you know, who've been posting things on their social media and just friends that I've talked to. I remember when Sandy hook happened yeah um it was the year lila was born so i remember it very clearly i actually remember metro had a prayer meeting like the saturday right after um and i remember being so devastated like i could not stop crying and i think part of that was the hormones of having Mm -hmm. become a parent and kind of understanding to some degree not fully obviously i would never understand fully what these parents and families have gone through but just trying to imagine what kind of loss this would be and to be so brutally murdered like a bunch of kindergartners and i I just couldn't comprehend it i couldn't comprehend the kind of evil that would convince a person to go in and murder in cold blood innocent little children yeah, yeah, yeah. um 
And I really, you know what? Maybe this was my naivete at the time, but I really believed that something was going to happen. Like I really thought that we were going to make some changes because I just, I was like, this is kindergartners. These are children. There's no way we're going to let this go. I mean, I know Columbine had happened and not a lot of changes had happened. And obviously that was also terrible. Right. But I was like, 20 something little children have died. There's no way the lawmakers and the country is going to allow this to keep happening. And nothing has changed. I mean, and, nothing has and changed. The, and the sad reality, Sue, is that probably nothing will change as well going forward. And and that's and I think that's what really infuriates so many of us, um, our audience, as well as the people here in this country, is that uh, we're not going to do much. And here's the thing. I mean, I think we can always say, you know, we got to get, we got to make this a federal issue. Yes, that's that's important. But we need to make this a state issue as well. The governors need to be held accountable mm. because the governors are the presidents of their states. And Greg Abbott should should feel horrible about what he happened. Should. He, should. he should not be sleeping at nights because he was complicit in all this. I'm saying that because he is running a state where an 18-year-old little kid can go in and buy guns, and it's okay to do that. And if he's not going to change those laws in the state of Texas, and I don't think he'll ever, ever will because the NRA is so strong there in that state, and they so believe in bearing, fire, uh, bearing arms, if he doesn't work in creating more difficult laws in that state so that it's harder for people to get firearms, this is going to continue to happen in Texas and other places where it's so easy to get guns. And that's it. And I live in a state, I'm just grateful that I live in a state where it is almost impossible to get a gun. I know this because mm. I have friends that actually asked me if I could do some, if I could write recommendations so that they can get a gun. I have friends because I'm a pastor mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they believe a pastor's recommendation will go a long way, right? And they have tried and they've gotten rejected every time. Wow. And they are well into their 30s and 40s and they can't get a gun. And so I'm grateful that I live in a state where it is almost impossible for you to get a gun and they do all these background checks on you. And I'm just I'm just tired of, of these governors in these states where they're not doing anything like that and realizing that, that if they continue to allow this to happen where young people like an 18-year-old kid can go in and buy guns, this is going to continue to happen. And we got to hold them accountable to this. They got to they gotta know that they are responsible for this. And they can't say that, oh, man, this is tragic. This is tragic. Of course it's tragic. Who wouldn't say it's tragic? Mm-hmm. But they have the power to change it. And if they don't change it, they're complicit. Oh, they're absolutely complicit. I think they're more than complicit. I think it's partly, I mean, I think it's their fault that they allowed this, they allowed the laws that would allow this to happen. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe this is me becoming so cynical at this point, but you're right. I just, I don't even, I don't even have the energy anymore to keep posting things and saying things same, and same. you know i'm supposed to I, I i used to call them you know yeah. i used to call them write them letters and i realize like this is also a privileged thing for me to say to say like i'm sick of doing this i can't do this anymore yeah but i think there's a part of me that's starting to feel like is this just never going to happen is yeah. it just such a part of our life now that um because you see in the number you see the amount of money that these politicians are getting from the NRA and the gun yeah. manufacturers. Oh, absolutely. Millions and millions of dollars. Oh, yeah. They're being and controlled. I'm like, are they going to be able to, are they going to stop? Are they really going to be able to stop? You know? I mean, in some ways, these politicians are getting that kind of money from the NRA and stuff like that. I mean, they're basically selling their souls to the devil. I mean, they're just right. compromising right. and saying, well, you know what? They're helping me get into office. So now I cannot 
I cannot embrace or enforce or create laws that will make it more difficult for people to get to get firearms. And that is horrible. Um, and I just, you know, we, we had a prayer meeting this morning at our church. And uh, we just pray that God will remove those people in office that are that continue to perpetuate uh, this this uh, this desire to just keep you know allowing anyone uh, to bear firearms and and not not willing to uh, create greater laws and greater restrictions for people to actually bear it you know and stuff so you know I mean it's just it's really sad and uh, and I don't think you know there's anything more we could say in addition to what's already been said in social media and the news and things like that this is horrific but how many more times do we have to actually go through this again uh, for us to actually make a change in this country because there is no other there is no other country in the world uh, that even comes close to no, what's going not on even. here. There is a, we, we are so spectacularly winning in this. Uh, we are so far ahead than any country in the world in terms of gun violence. And yet we still don't care. We still don't think that this is a problem in our country. And that honestly, like, I just thought about this. And listen, I love being an American. I'm an, an American citizen. But I'm just like, why would anyone really want to come and live in this country other than the fact maybe they can make some money? But there's plenty of other places you can go make money now because mm -hmm. there's plenty of other countries. But I'm just thinking this country is so messed up. I mean, you can't even go to a supermarket right. and, and think, am I going to get gunned down today? Yeah. Because yeah. somebody hates the color of my skin. I mean, it's just ridiculous how, we, how people are just, you know, like we live in a country that honestly, that actually empowers people to hate. Like, you can hate, and guess what? You can actually do something about that hate. Grab a gun and go and do it, you know? And I think the other thing, and I used to work in media, I think the media should be ashamed of themselves. I think, I think they have to also come together and say, you know what? We should never publish any pictures of any of these terrorists mm -hmm. that shoot up and kill these people because part of the problem, I think, also is that uh, some, of these, some of these young people, they love in some ways to be famous. And this is their yeah. way to be famous. This is the way where everyone will know who they are and who their name is. I, I just- It's, it's like their legacy in a exactly, twisted way. Exactly, exactly. And, and it's terrible that, you know, that they're all over the place and, and their pictures are all over the place. And in many ways, they've become like these overnight, you know, viral pics all over the internet and things like that. And I get why the media is doing that because they got to let people know who is the one who did this. But there's got to be a better way because honestly, I think there's also uh, thoughts from people, terrorists like this. They think if I do this, people will know who I am. And it's just horrible. It's an absolutely horrible thing. So it is incredibly heartbreaking to, to continue to live in a country like this where things like this are happening and, uh, and yet we're still so divided. We can't even come to an agreement as a country that this is wrong. And the sad part is I think a general consensus of the country would agree with us, right? But the people in power, mm -hmm. they don't. And that's I mean, it's, the sad It comes reality. down to the money. I mean, I feel like it all comes down to the money and they just would much rather be able to hold their lives, hold their you know office in politics, um, keep receiving the donations and then kind of trying to ignore, I guess, the reality of what the consequences of what they're doing yeah. is. I don't know. It's, it's I, when I just sit there and try to think through it, I, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, yeah. I just, I don't understand it because, you know, and partly maybe this is because like, like I said earlier, like my basic core desire is to do the right thing. And so um, I'm not, I just, I don't know. I just don't understand how this can keep happening and nothing can be changing. Yes. And parents could be out there 
um, talking about how their children have been murdered in their yeah. classrooms. And some, I just don't understand how people can look at that and not feel like something like people, I mean, by people, I mean like people in power, the people who yeah. have the ability to make these changes. How can they look at that and turn away? I just don't understand. I, I don't either. And, and I just, I, I really do hope that Greg Abbott is not sleeping at nights right now because of what he's continuing to allow to happen uh, in his state where anyone at the age of 18 um, could pretty much get a firearm. And uh, I just want to encourage our listeners, it's incredibly important that you vote because we need to vote for people and put people in power that we agree with. And, uh, and, it's, and, and if you have not voted, uh, I do hope that you would really be open to doing that, registering, and that's the only thing we can do to maybe make a change. But the reality is there's such a, a large part of the world, uh, of the country, where they are in full support of politicians that continue to allow uh, leniency in terms of bearing arms. And so it's it's just a sad reality of that. But it's incredibly important that we do vote and do our best and, uh, and, and, and things like that. But we're just, I mean, it's just we're lost for words to really uh, talk about uh, what's happened in Texas. But I think what we really want to do in this in this podcast is just talking about grieving because I think all of us can relate to losing um, people in our lives, losing things uh, that are so deeply important to us. Some of us have lost jobs during this pandemic. Some of us has lost loved ones during this pandemic. Some of us has have lost people that we've loved as a kid, but we've never been able to. Uh, grieve those things. We didn't have the emotional faculties to grieve properly. So as a result of that, uh, that actually ends up really hurting us uh, in the long run. And so we wanted to just talk about how do we grieve well? And and really before that, maybe just talk about the consequences of grieving. So Sua, you do a lot of reading. You're also a social worker. And I think you're also a pretty darn good counselor, even though you're not a professional counselor. Um, and you, I mean, I, you know, you in terms of like, cataclysmic losses of like loved ones or parents and stuff you've been so fortunate when that has not happened to you yeah. but i'm sure you've had to go through losses in your life as well uh, but you've lost a real dear friend at work and you've shared that on the podcast in the past and so uh, maybe just share with us a little bit about what is your experience of what happens to human beings when they don't grieve what do you think are some of the consequences because i think there are a lot of people out there that don't think they need to grieve or they're just afraid to do that and especially if you were a young child and you didn't grieve when you went through a loss and now you're an adult i think as a as an adult it's incredibly um uh it's incredibly fearful you get afraid to having to say all right well now i have to go back and grieve that like what that's just not that doesn't seem like it's even plausible it's even i can even do that so anyway i just want to get some of your thoughts i have thoughts as well but what are some of your thoughts what are some of the consequences when our audience decides not to grieve losses in their life uh, i'm not sure if this is going to answer your question but i think that um to preface to even go beyond what you're asking me i think christians in my experience are a group that is just really bad at grieving. Horrible, um, horrible. They get an F. They get an I F. I think they, <laughs> they get an F. I think um, they get an F. For part sure. of it, you know, I want to say, I think a lot of it also has to do with a lot of churches and their reaction yeah. to when death happens in their church. Well, so what happens in the church? Why so, do you think Christians are so bad at this? What does the church say? What do they do that makes Christians really bad at grieving? So I have, thankfully, you're right. Like I have been fortunate and privileged enough not to have yet um, had to go through a real serious, you know, death 
I've done, I mean, I've had to grieve other things, but in terms of actually losing the life of a loved one, I have not gone through that yet, right? But I have friends who have, and I have Mm. friends whose parents have. And the number of times I have heard from these friends that the reaction of the leader, like the pastor, the priest in the church, it was never, yes, let's be sad together. It was always, well, wrap it up now because they're in heaven. So why are you grieving? That has been a very consistent theme yeah. in the reactions of yep. the church leaders and that was appalling to yeah. me i mean that was appalling absolutely uh, my friend's appalling. mom died and yep. the priest said to her well why are you sh- you are lacking in faith because yep. you're so sad right yep. now yep. because yep. aren't you happy for her that she's in heaven and she's with jesus yeah. you need to get over it that was the reaction as a fellow clergy member that makes my blood boil like nothing will make my blood boil more if i ever heard a pastor say you know you don't have enough faith because you should be happy your mom is in heaven i mean that that i mean that's that's grounds for me even getting physically violent like jesus was with a whip if i had a whip i would whip those people or a butterfly knife oh oh yeah if i I would just scare them with a butterfly knife you know maybe shave their legs Maybe shave their legs. No, but I mean, but it was, it's, it's shocking to me. You would think maybe one time, okay, fine. This was just a poor reaction on the clergy. No, this has been a thing that happens all the time. It's always some variation of you're lacking in faith. If you're going to mourn this for this long, it's been three days, wrap it up now. You should be getting over it. Yeah. And, and that, and that is the general theme. Like, because you have God, because you have God, you're going to be fine. And, and in some ways the church is just, let's hurry up and hurry up and get through this and you'll be okay. And I think that's really hard. And the things that we say are so deeply hurtful. Um, and it's, it's, it just, it'll destroy you. It'll destroy you. And I had a friend, um, in, in, when I graduated college, I attended this church. She was really spiritual. She was really ultra spiritual woman. And, uh, we would. I was a worship leader at the time, and um, and we would always get together at the end, and we would just share. We just open mm. up and share. It's kind of typical of who I am, and we would just share kind of the things we might be going through. And I just felt like she just never really opened up and ever shared. Mm-hmm. And I said to her one day, I said, "Hey, how come like you don't share?" And and she just said, "Hey, you know, um, the reason why I don't is because when my father died, she was in middle school." She was crying, and her pastor told her, "Stop crying. Be happy. Your father's in heaven." And he died wow. because a drunk driver killed him. Oh my him. gosh. And this young little girl couldn't even mourn the death of her yep. father yep. because her pastor said, you should not cry because you should be happy because your father is in heaven. I mean, could you just imagine the horror that I from can't. that age, she had such a deep, she, she couldn't even grieve the death of her father, but now she couldn't even show that. So she lived her whole life bottling herself up and never being honest or real with her emotions in fear that somebody might tell her that it's not good for you to feel that way. And so that had a tremendous effect on her in the future and uh, and the present. So yeah. I feel like, you know, this communicates to me a lot more about the person who's giving this kind of empty platitude than the actual situation. Because you've heard, you've been in ministry and you've heard the platitudes of, oh, um, God knew what he was doing and I guess he needed your mom in heaven or something, you know, some variation of that. Like God knows what he's doing. And so, you know, it's his, you know what else? And this is actually a very difficult one for me because it is biblical in some sense because it's in the Bible. But you know, when someone's going through a really, really difficult time and a Christian brother or sister decides to tell them, well, you know, God never gives you anything you can't handle, so you'll get through it. I don't feel like that's very helpful. 
you know? And if you're um, a Christian listening, you got to stop saying stuff like that. I mean, that just pisses me off when I hear things like that. Because why would you tell somebody, you know, God wouldn't do something in your life and, and give you something that you can't bear? I mean, give me a break. I mean, I just think that is so awful. It's, it's so Jesus, awful. Jesus would never do that. I mean, I mean, when you the best example of this is when Lazarus died, right? And you see that story in John. I think it's John 14. And, and, and you see Jesus. Those were his closest friends. He sees Mary crying over the death of her mm -hmm. brother. Mm -hmm. Jesus was going to raise him from the dead. He was mm -hmm. going to raise it from the mm -hmm. dead. And, and you know, I, I, thought I had a million-dollar idea, and I just don't, I don't think I have the time and, 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 and the time to do this. But I think, like, if I ever had time to do this, and if you're listening and you're a pastor or a scholar, you better not steal this idea from me because I'll be <laughs> you very... Time to do it anyway. So listen, so because we can date this, um, and if somebody does this, we'll know that they stole my idea. All right. Here's the idea: if you ever want to get a robust theology of who God is, focus not on the words of Jesus, but focus on the actions of Jesus. Because Jesus says, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so the actions of Jesus will teach us more about who God really is than the words of Jesus. The words mm -hmm. of Jesus about God is important, but the actions of Jesus, because Jesus is God as well. He's fully man, but fully God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when he saw Mary crying, when he saw Mary, and he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he knew that. Mm -hmm. What did Jesus do? It says in John, he wept. He wept with them. He cried with them. Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew that in moments those his, his best friends and the people that were lamenting and grieving were going to be dancing and rejoicing. He knew mm -hmm. all of that, mm -hmm. but he still wept. Why? Because he loved them. What, what does God do when we are broken, when we go through hardships in our life, when we go through losses? God weeps for us. That's why when we focus on the actions of Jesus, we learn, we learn more about who God is. And, and that, I can't tell you how how that impacted me when I read that yeah. passage because I was in seminary and this is when 9-11 happened and mm -hmm. I lost a friend in 9-11 and that passage brought me so much hope and uh, and I want to I create a study but you know how they have the red letters of Jesus yes. like the words yes. I want to create a Bible where it's like the blue letters of Jesus and that just focuses on his actions so this is your million and dollar idea this is my million dollar okay, idea okay so I th people I think, can't steal it I think millions it. of people will buy this Bible you get the red letters but you get the blue letters and the mm -hmm. blue letters then, you can, like, you know, in the study Bible, they'll put, like, a number yeah, in the yeah, bottom yeah. and look at it. And then we can unpack what that teaches us about mm -hmm. God. Come on, Zondervan, if you're listening. <laughs> oh, let's go. You know, John, maybe your husband want to support this idea and, uh, and, and want to go in on it. John, maybe uh, uh, 60, me uh, set no, 60, 40, because Sue is going to edit it anyway. Draft us so. a business proposal. So we'll edit it. Yeah, yeah, we'll do a 60, 40 take. But anyway, um, no, but, but that, but yeah, yeah but, but kidding aside, when you focus on the actions of Jesus, you learn about who God really is. And, and God is a God who doesn't just say, you know, I, I, uh, you just suck it up, you'll be okay. But he is a God who will cry with you, even though he may know what's going to happen in the future and in your life and things like that and stuff. So I, I just think that that's incredibly important. But you're right, Christians are terrible at grieving. And I, I don't think anyone's really good at it, to be quite honest. I think even people who aren't Christians aren't very good at grieving as well. And and I think we just have to figure out and learn how do we start to do this? Because if we don't, if we don't grieve well, you become less human. Well, I think part of it is also we have such a fix it mentality. Yeah. Um, I think it's cultural because I also do know not that it's always a solution when the culture allows for the morning, but you know, like Korean culture, um, there's like a 
kind of a protocol for like how you're supposed to mourn. Like there's a certain time that you're supposed to mourn. Like you're not allowed to wear certain colors for a while. Not that they still observe all of these things, but I feel like in our modern day society, we're so quick to say, okay, well that chapter is over. Let's move on to the next one. How do we fix this really quickly so we can move on to the next thing? And unfortunately grief, as you know, like it doesn't work that way. Like there is no beginning and clear end to the grieving chapter, you know, but I think that's what kind of we want. And like you said, I think it's so profound that Jesus cried because if anyone in the universe can fix things, it's Jesus. And yet Jesus, and he was about to quote unquote fix it. And yet he he still still sat in their grief with them and empathized and cried. So I think that is a model for all of us in terms of how to grieve. But to go back to your original question, um, slapping on a bandaid on anything doesn't ever mean your wound is healing, right? If you're grieving something, that is a deep, deep wound. And to just completely ignore it and pretend that it doesn't exist you know what's going to happen. It's going to fester. You might try to ignore it for a while, but it's only going to become bigger and bigger. And ultimately, it'll probably consume your life and destroy things in the process. Yes. You've seen this happen. Oh, I've seen it happen. You become less and less human uh, because you're not able to feel uh, because part of who we are as human beings is that we live with emotions and you shut that part of your life. And if this is, if you're listening, if you're listening right now, and, and, and you run away whenever there's trouble, whenever there's conflicts, because you just don't want to deal. You're just like, I just don't want to deal with this. You know, I don't want to get hurt anymore. Part of that is because you've never grieved a loss, and those wounds are still very fresh. And as a result of that, it's really impeding on your ability to be in any type of healthy relationships with other people as a result of it. And, and you have to give yourself time to grieve, because the, if you don't do that, you're going to be less and less, you're going to be less and less human, and it's going to really ruin, ruin you. And I, I would guess that some of the reasons why so many people have such dysfunctional relationships with people that they wish they had good relationships with is because they have never really grieved their loss. They've tried to band-aid, like you said, band-aid approach to it. Um, I, you know, uh, we talked a little, I know we, jo- we were kind of joking about this, but about what laws we broke. You know, so some people have to get drunk. They have to get high. They have mm-hmm. to get this because they're so emotionally broken. And addiction is a symptom of really our emotional brokenness. Mm-hmm. And it's not that you're an evil, bad person. I think part of it is that you're such a broken person that you need to grieve. And and I just want to encourage our audience that you need to spend time grieving. So, Sua, can I just ask you, like, how have you, when you lost your friend, uh, when you were working with her in the hospital, like, how did you process? I mean, I'm sure you didn't go out and read a book, but like, what were some of the things, looking back on it many years later, what were some things that really helped you to grieve that loss? I think the most important thing that I took away from that, which number one was what I shared when I talked about it, which was that, you know, God weeps with you, as you said, yeah. God is present with you. He does not try to cover your sadness and grief with platitudes like a Band-Aid, yeah. um, but he really just dwells in you like just sitting there listening to the things you say, whether they might be really angry curse words um, or just blubbering sobbing, I think yep. he he stays with you. I think the most important part for me though was, yes, I was upset, but I think in my anger, I still turned to God to be yes. angry at him. Yes. I didn't say yes. I'm angry, so I'm, I'm turning away, yep. feeding my grief with other things. I think that would have been really, really devastating yeah. for me. But I think I'm very thankful that in my, even though I was angry, I was directing my anger towards 
God. That's right. You know, I that's mean, right. I'm not sure if that's making sense, but oh, it's making um, absolute yeah. sense. Yeah. So I went to God, and you know, in my humanness, I, I tried to confront him about it and say, "Why are you doing this? Like, yeah. why did you do this? What is the reason for this?" But I was still in dialogue yep. with God, and I never severed that tie mm. with God. So I think it's very important. You know, be honest, be raw, be real. But do it with God, <laughs> you know. Don't don't right. leave Him, You're right? Um, because yeah, He might not have the answers for you that you are seeking. He might not make things better. But I think just His presence alone, you will see, makes yeah. a world of a difference. World of a difference, absolutely. And my my encouragement, the only add on I would do with that is that when you, when when Sue is saying be with God and connect with Him, I think it's really important that you do that in community mm. as well. That you need to have a few people in your life, not a lot. One or, one or two people that will not give you advice, but that would just offer you a shoulder to cry on, mm -hmm. that will empathize with what you're going through. That's it. That you sense care from, because that is God caring for you. He cares for us. One of the best ways in how he does that is always through other people. And that's what Jesus says, when two or more are gathered in my name, I'll be there. Right. And so it's important for you to surround yourself with some people where you can allow them to care for you. This is important. When you are grieving, you have to let some people care for you. This is the problem that many people don't do. They don't let other people care for them because some of us just don't want, we don't want to put people out. We feel bad, uh, things like that. Or we just want to pretend we're okay. We don't want to, you know, we, we do that. But you got to let some people take care of you. you. You have to, I tell people this whenever they go through a deep loss, you got to be selfish when you go through a deep loss. You got to ask people for favors. You got to let people care for you and love on you during this time because that is one of the best ways in how you can mm -hmm. really connect and, and make concrete God's love for you. And so it's a beautiful thing when you can do that. So I think it is critical that we do that. And then, and then I think for me, was I lost my father several years ago and uh, it was hard I, I actually didn't think it was going to be that hard Sue, because i prepared for it my father was in nursing home mm -hmm, for eight mm -hmm. years i actually prayed that god would call him home because there was nothing else for him to live like when you when you have you a didn't parent, want him to suffer yeah when you when you have a parent who's in a nursing home yeah. it is so depressing it's so sad because it's a hospital yep and it's just so depressing and i just when my father for about two years he couldn't talk. His Parkinson's got mm -hmm. so bad. Um, he couldn't talk. He lost like mobility. He was just on a wheelchair. And I just prayed that God would call him home because mm -hmm. I, I, I hated seeing him yeah. and leaving and just seeing him in that state. And when he finally did go, though, I wasn't prepared um, to, to really deal with that loss. You never can deal with it until actually you lose somebody you love. And it took me time. And um, it took me two years, around two years for me to feel like Peter on again. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I will say, and you said this already, Sue, is you cannot rush the process. You got to take your time. You cannot expect to get over a loss like so quickly, especially if it's a real big loss. Yeah. And you got to give yourself time. You got to be careful because our natural tendency is that you just want to get busy because you don't want to have to deal with your, your, your loss. And I would encourage you to be less busier so that you can spend more time to grieve because it'll help you in the long run. Otherwise, you end up um, not a, not being able to grieve because you're so busy and you're not able to really process this in, in the community and with God, you know? And so I think that's incredibly important. I think, you know, I, I saw an illustration once about grieving and basically it says, you know, people think that the way grief 
passes over time is that the, your grief shrinks, like your grief gets smaller over time. But actually, it's not that your grief gets smaller, it's that you grow around it. Yeah. Um, and I think that was so profound, because I think a lot of times we expect that, um, yeah, maybe in six months, maybe in a year, you know, it, w it, it won't be there anymore. We yeah. won't think about it as much. But I don't think that is necessarily how it happens. I mean, if, especially if it's a really, really big loss i think we just learn to cope around it yeah. i don't think it ever really goes away yeah you know especially yeah. if you talk to parents who've lost children they never stop thinking about that never. child and you know never. i had a neighbor who had lost her son um in his teen years um and she told me she wants people to ask her about her son you yeah. know i think a lot of times we don't want to bring it up yeah yeah because yep, we're like, well, we don't want to yep. make her yep. sad mm -hmm. and she said the saddest thing for me is that he'll be forgotten yeah and i i relish the moments when people ask me about him hmm. you know that people still remember him because i'm thinking about him all the time anyway there's never a moment i'm not thinking mm. about him you know and so i feel like wow that's powerful there's a lot of things that we don't yeah. understand really about families yeah. that are grieving yeah but i also want to say you know grief obviously the most immediate Thing we think about when we hear the word grief is death you know death of a loved one but there's so many variations yep, of grief yep. you know it's not always just because somebody dies you know sometimes yep. you grieve the fact that you no longer talk to a family member yep. you know i have friends who've become estranged from family yep. members for various reasons yep. and that is a real loss absolutely you know, it's like a very complicated loss because the person is out there and alive and yet yeah. you cannot you're not in relationship with them yeah. and i think that you know those are valid i have friends who've been in long-term relationships with significant others and then they break up and yep. you know what there's grief in that Absolutely. because you know it's Even the grief of losing a yeah, job because i yeah. a lot of times for me for example this is obviously i am not comparing this with the grief of losing um a person to death but i remember when i was um getting married and i was walking into the ceremony where Pastor Peter was officiating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was walking that was a beautiful in. wedding, by the way. It was a beautiful yeah. wedding. It was really hot. Also, in the pictures, you look like our chaperone, but that's a <laughs> different topic. Uh, <laughs> but I remember I was sobbing for like the whole walk. And later on, John like pulled me aside and was like, What is, why are you so sad? Like, what is so sad about marrying me? Like, are you so depressed? Because <laughs> yeah, clearly, no. there were not very happy tears. But it wasn't because I was sad yeah. to marry John. It was because, um, I knew that as soon as the wedding and honeymoon were over, my parents were going to go back to Korea. Yeah. And um, I think that was kind of a grieving for me because yeah, the way I had sure. envisioned my newlywed years and my life with my children and all this stuff, like it, it always involved my parents. Like the way I imagined it in my dreams, the way I had expected it, it involved my entire family. But then my parents just kind of left me and went to Korea. And so every holiday it would feel so empty. Like, yeah. this is not how I imagined my life. Like, I, yeah. you know, when I had my kids and my parents weren't there, that was not how I had imagined my life. And so there was definitely a grief there because it was the death of dreams. You yeah. know, it was the death of not the ex your reality, not meeting the expectations yeah. that you had dreamed about all your life. And so I think these are obviously this is kind of a lighter example of that. But I think grief can be real for many different things. It's oh, not absolutely. always just you know, the death of a person. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you got to give yourself time. And I'm speaking to men and women, but particularly to men, you got to let yourself cry. And I think there's such a, a strong urge to fight tears. Um, but and, and particularly in our culture in which we live in today, you know, it's kind of like we, we don't really champion men being emotional or crying. It's not considered to be a very male or masculine trait. 
but you have to. Jesus wept. Jesus mm-hmm. cries. The greatest, you know, the most masculine person you can you can ever you know uh, uh, see or model after should be Jesus. And Jesus was incredibly emotional. He he wept so much at the Garden of Gethsemane. He grieved because he was gonna he was gonna be crucified on the cross, where he was actually sweating droplets of blood. Right. And so the reality is is that the grieving aspect. Our Lord did this. God grieved. God grieved that He created humanity before He brought the flood over Noah. Uh, there's something about grieving that that affirms being created in the image of God, and we need to know that. And I think the big thing is this: when we don't grieve, we can't heal. Grieving is the first step of really he- of mm-hmm. real healing. And you know, let's just do it in a medical way. If you have a wound. And and uh, and you are not taking steps to heal that wound. Like you're not putting, like, say you have a big wound, you have like an open laceration or something, and you are not taking steps, like getting stitches or putting, you know, um, you know, hydrogen peroxide to disinfect it or neurospurin, and you just leave it alone. It will never heal, and it gets worse. That's the thing about these wounds; they get worse if you don't heal from it. And then it affects so many other parts of your life. And so we need to learn to grieve, um, you know, within that. You were going to say something, Sua? I heard you so, take a deep breath. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, you know, another one that I remember I was really, really taken aback by was at one at one of the churches that I had visited, um, you know, before. Oh, man. Don't make my blood boil, girl. No, 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 no. This is okay. a good one. Oh, so okay, the pastor cool. had, um, he had three children, yeah. but two of his he had a daughter and two sons, but his two sons were all on the autism spectrum. And I remember he went up there one one Sunday and very vulnerably, he was talking about how he had to grieve the fact that his sons were not going to be the sons that he had imagined. Yeah. Um, and he felt very guilty in the beginning because God gave him these children and he loves these children. He mm. felt almost guilty confronting the reality that he wasn't thankful. Like people, mm. you, know, you should still be just thankful that they're healthy, you know, physically yeah. or that you have sons at all. Yeah. And it was very complicated for him because he's a pastor and he feels yeah. like, yeah, I should be thankful. But there was a part of him that just wasn't at peace. And yeah. he realized it was because he had an expectation of what kind of relationship, a father-son relationship he had wanted with these children. And that was not going to be what he was going to get most likely. And he had to grieve the fact that that's not, my expectation is dying. My dreams are dying here. And then only then was he able to then love them the way God had envisioned him to love him. And I think that was so powerful because a lot of us would be like, well, you should just be thankful. I mean, you should, God gave you these children for a reason. You can't be grieving that. But I think, that that's what it is is he's being real with god he's saying this is not the kind the children that i thought you were going to give me i thought they were going to have this very clear straightforward father-son relationship we were going to play football together we were going to do all these things and that was not the reality of what he received from god but only after he acknowledged that there was that dissonance between his expectations and dreams and the reality was he able to then move forward and parent them and love them the way god wanted him to you know Mm, so I feel mm. like it can be really complicated. Yeah, it can uh, because be. Because we feel guilty about it. Like we sure. feel guilty that we're taking time for ourselves or that we're even reveling in this, you know, grief because why we shouldn't get to and why should we get to even grieve, you know? Like yeah. there's so many other things that we should yeah. be thankful yeah. about yeah. or you yeah. know, a lot of times our reaction is, well, at least A B or C. I mean, yes, this is terrible, but at least you have your mom or at, yeah, you have cancer and you're going through chemo, but at least you got to keep your hair. Like there's yep. so many things that I feel like the world tells us or we tell ourselves that we don't need to grieve because at least this or at least that, but that's not how God yeah. um, does and, it and for that, us at all. And, 
Right, and that really shows us that we just don't know how to help people to grieve or at least comfort people or be there with them to grieve. And, and we just want to hurry up and just make them well and then just kind of go on with life. And I just mm-hmm. think if you're in relations with people and they go through deep loss, you cannot try to rush the process. You let the pace, let them dictate the pace. And here's what I want to just say to people who've gone through loss. Um, you got to make room to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. You got to, you got to, you know, like, cause when I was grieving, when my father passed away, like, man, just like, I, I don't really, I didn't know how to grieve like fully. And even though I did emotionally healthy spirituality, all those things, it was still hard. And so you got to give yourself room to make mistakes. I would just say, beware of your dark side. If you're not grieving well, what happens with losses, uh, any kind of losses you've sustained in your life, your dark side gets very strong. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have anyone in your life to keep you accountable to your dark side, especially when you go through deep losses in life, um, many times those dark sides will lead you off uh, the rail and you will just really hurt yourself and hurt other people around you. And so that's why it's really important that you actually have some people in your life that will care for you enough to help you uh, so that your dark side doesn't get the best of you. And I think like that, that to me was my saving grace that I had some people that helped me through mm-hmm. it, through my dark side, because not only did I lose my father, but our church, we went through like this real crisis Everything around me felt like it was just falling apart. Thankfully, I had my kids and my wife. Everything was good at home. But outside of that, everything was just like falling apart for me. And and you need to have some people to help you so that the dark side, your dark side will get the best of you. You know, And I think that's a really important part. And, and I just let God break me, man. I just let him break me. And part of that is that I just got very emotional and I let myself get emotional. And I mean, Sue, I was watching Modern Family and I started crying. Like, Why? I don't know because it's a comedy. But you know how like in the end, like they're always like Ed O'Neill will give like a little summary of like family or something like that. And like if you watch Monifer at the end, they always, it's like, it's like literally 30 seconds. Yeah. At the end of almost every episode, I cried every time that happened because it just showed the beauty of family and there was something Mm -hmm. there and I just realized oh man I lost my dad you know and Mm -hmm. stuff and so there was just that lamenting and and so like you know not to say that you got to find something that's going to help you to cry but that was that kind of helped me in my process to grieve because it kind of gave me the freedom to be open and to cry you know in that way so any event yeah so I think um going back to the beginning um opening when we were talking about the shooting at the Texas school, um, it, it's almost, I feel like sometimes we feel like we, we forget that we live in a really, really broken world yeah. and we're surprised when things like this happen. Like how yeah. could something like this happen? But then there's a part of me that's like, this is the world we live in. This is the it effect is. of sin. Of course yeah. this is happening. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a broken, sinful world. Sin has entered the world and this is not our home. And I think it helps yeah. me to reground and recalibrate, right? This is not God's kingdom here. You know, this is not Absolutely the way not. God envisioned. Yeah. Um, a lot of times when we go through difficulty, I think sometimes we think, is God punishing me? Like, mm-hmm. is, did I do something wrong? Is God doing this to me as yeah. a result of some unrepented sin? But I think sometimes, I mean, yes, sometimes maybe there's a consequence, but a lot of times it's just because we live in a broken world. Yes. Um, and this is not the world God wants for us, but this is our reality right now. That's right. But I think it's important to also ground ourselves in the fact that there is a day when God's kingdom will be here. And That's I right. think having that framework of eternity and the hope that we have in a kingdom that will not have tears, that will not have death, that there is no power that death will have on this kingdom, that we yeah. will have happiness and joy and peace and you know intimacy with God. Like Im- 
thinking about those things in the midst of it, I think really helps us ground. Um, not that it, me it means it lessens the sadness or the grief, but I think it gives us an eternal framework. Yes, to right. Say, and nevertheless, these things may be happening in our lives today and it is terrible and it is so sad and it is devastating nevertheless a day is coming a day is coming absolutely I think that's what ultimately really will get right, us through right and reminding hope. everyone you know i think sometimes people pe people who don't know and don't really believe in god or have very you know um just a real a little a little a small understanding of who god is is they actually believe right now where we planet earth right now needs to be heaven Mm. And and it's like and what you just said is really important because it's this reminder that no this is not heaven this is not right. uh, this is not our final destination and there there is going to come a time where everything is restored because human beings are not capable of of managing or stewarding power mm -hmm. we're mm -hmm. terrible at it yeah, that's we've why, seen that that's yeah. why this country is the way it is today because we are not capable of handling. I, I, I honestly, I actually believe women are more capable of handling power than men are, uh, just because men have such egos. Not to say that women don't have egos, but uh, but in, in any, any event, uh, just we are just not. It's like the movie Lord of the Rings. No human being yeah. could handle the ring because it was too powerful. Mm -hmm. Everyone mm -hmm. wanted it, but every time you had it, it corrupted you. Yeah. Yep. And so the reality is, is that we live in this country, unfortunately, where where America is still the most powerful nation in this world. And because we have that power, we are not able to steward it well. And as a result, we see what's happening in the world mm -hmm. in which we're living in mm -hmm. right now. And it's just incredibly shocking and it's incredibly, it's horrible. And it requires us to know that, uh, that there will be unfortunate things like that, that we have no control over, that we're going to have to go and sustain losses and grieve in a deep way. And then just dealing with the regular brokenness of life and the losses that we sustain in that way as well. So it's not easy. So, but yeah. So my encouragement to all of you is that if you're going through a loss right now, uh, what we didn't really talk about is that for some of you, you actually might need a professional counselor to help you mm -hmm. process that. Mm -hmm. And I will say that that was the game changer for me because I was in counseling personally um, for about several years, I would say six to seven years, I was in constant counseling. Uh, for the first year, I went every week. Second year, second and third year, I went every other week. And then the fourth year, I did every month. And then fifth, sixth, it was like quarterly, you know, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Now I just do like tune-ups. Uh, but it's important because sometimes you just need a professional to help you to work through all that stuff in your life and, and to give you some real good tools to help you to grieve well and to heal and to be better as yeah. a person. So I do hope that you will. For those of you who may not know, if, if you're in the New Jersey area, um, you can easily access emetro.org slash counseling. Uh, and we have a whole list of counselors that we recommend that we have, um, that we highly recommend. And they're just excellent. You can check that out if you, if you want a counselor or you want to find a counselor because it's not easy to find a good one. Yeah, so it's, it's hard. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard. But anyway, um, you know, we got to go. If you have any questions, any thoughts, uh, any comments, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, please let us know. Go to weekpastor.org and uh, please feel free to, to share your thoughts, your questions, and even give us some feedback on today's episode. But we just want to thank you so much for listening, and we hope that you have a good day. Take care. Bye.